What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Average Money Podcast. In this episode, we're going to kind of go behind the curtains a little bit. And JJ and I, in this day and age, we're talking so much about stocks and options and things to pick. But there is, you know, that foundation that our personal finance journey was built on. And that is Dave Ramsey's Seven Baby Steps. Now, full disclosure, I can't say even, I'm not, I'm not going to speak for JJ. He'll give his opinion in a second, but they're not really the seven steps that we kind of live by. But we have to be really sure to give credit where credit is due and show that for a majority of Americans and for a majority of individuals, even throughout the world, the teachings of Dave Ramsey as far as getting out of debt and learning about money and learning about personal finance at least needs to be noted. And that's really going to be the goal. We're going to talk about the seven baby steps, the things that we didn't know then that we know now, and the ways that maybe we could kind of get outside the spreadsheet a little bit, think more personal finance and take his set in stone philosophies and kind of make them our own. And I think that's kind of where we we stand right now on Dave Ramsey's baby step. So if you are new to this podcast, my name is Brad Finn. I am joined by the one and only JJ Buckner. JJ, how are we doing tonight, bud? I'm good, man. I'm uh, drinking a bottle of my wife's wine tonight. I think you got the wine glass too, except you got the good old light art I'm waiting to get my hands on when you come in. So cheers to the episode. If anybody's drinking with us, cheers out there. If you're at the gym, cheers your protein shake or water bottle or whatever the hell you're drinking. But we're going to, it's a Saturday night for us. It's a typical, uh, or no, what, what, what is tonight? Tonight is Saturday night. Is your life that guys (laughs) big time, Big time, 90,000 subscriber J.J. Buckner doesn't even know what day of the week it is anymore. (laughs) We had so much fun recording on Saturday night last week that we're like, you know, let's let's put the wives to bed again early and let's do this again. So true. I mean, we don't have to worry about anything. We can co- we can go as long as we want. We can film as many episodes as we want. And like that's what we say this all the time, guys. Like we absolutely love filming these podcasts because I mean, like we're doing this on a Saturday night and we're not getting paid to do this. This is what we just love to do. And thanks to our newest Patreon followers we actually are getting paid for this and maybe we'll bring them up i think we have four or five this episode might actually be sponsored by our patreon members and we started up a discord this week because we realized with the facebook group it's so hard it's a separate app and the stream is so unorganized and jj and i spend most of our time on our personal discord chats so we did start a discord and i posted if you're in that facebook you'll see i left a message i know that not a lot of people know what it is and change can be kind of crazy and what is this discord they're talking about <laughs> i promise you i i was new to discord in september and even it's the ch- even the chat that's going on right now inside the average money discord is awesome i'll leave a link in the show notes or something like that but th- we actually now officially we are making like 20 bucks a month. Yeah. Well, and I want to say this too, because Brad and I both have gotten reached out from listeners of the podcast saying like, Hey, you guys don't really promote affiliates. You don't have sponsorships. Like how are ways we can kind of support, you know, the podcast. And, you know, luckily Brad and I have like our, you know, we have our jobs and, you know, uh, like YouTube and, and side hustles and things going on. So we are able to do something like this on the side. But Brad and I were talking, we're like, well, I mean, a Patreon would be the best thing because they get, you know, access to early episodes. Um, you know, they get to chat with us. 
I mean, pretty much any day during the week in the morning time and also in the evenings on Discord. Because like Brad said, we are on there a lot because we all we each have our own personal ones too. So uh, yeah, if you guys are looking to support the podcast, I mean, join Patreon membership. You guys feel free to ans- ask any questions to the Discord. Facebook page is still open, but it's just... It was very hard to manage, and like Brad and I would miss so many things. To where a Discord, it's just so much well more organized. You can everything. organize by chat yes. and things. People that don't know what it is, and yeah, that that was we weren't like ditching. We're not ditching Facebook. We just felt bad. Like I was like JJ, did you see that comment? And he's like, no, because they mm-hmm. they organize their stream weird, and we really think that this podcast and this community could really grow, and. In our from our personal experience through YouTube and things like that, we knew that the only way to keep a growing community organized was to make a Discord. And it's not just paid. Like we have a free, we have a bunch yes. of free chats in there. We just were like JJ said, we wanted to give people opportunity. Like people were DMing me after the episode a couple of weeks ago, like, hey, can I give you a couple bucks so you can fly there and see JJ? And I didn't want to be like Venmo me. I, I think right, I wrote right. it out in the Facebook group and I saw it. I was like, I gotta take this down, it just seemed dirty. But now for two fifty a two dollars and fifty cents a month on Patreon, you can get some extra access. A way for us to give you guys some added value and stuff, and then also give you the opportunity. But it's not just paid. Like Discord is also free, and we're t- is somebody asked in the Facebook group, is it like is the free like this? I'm like it's better than this because even the free chats are organized. Yeah. What's your thoughts on tonight's episode, JJ? Was I pretty much spot on with the intro there? I. I feel like, especially long since my days of YouTube baby steps, Brad, people think that, you know, I'm, I'm against Dave Ramsey now, or, you know, I have credit cards and I have these things, so I can't be a Dave Ramsey. I still feel like if I bumped into that dude, handshaking oh, yeah. a hug for him, man. So much respect for, I mean, Dave is the OG. Let's just all say it. He's the OG, OG in the finance space. I know I would probably guess 95% of the finance YouTubers out there who've been around for a, a bit got started with Dave Ramsey. I was one of them, and he's definitely the foundation of the finance space. He has the baby steps. He's had them set in place. And again, kind of like you said, Brad, we'll, we'll touch on our thoughts, but I would say this. For the average American who is not looking to further advance their financial capability, you know, they're not looking to grow their net worth, they're not tracking their net worth, they're not, you know, super nerding out on everything. I honest I would have to say Dave Ramsey's baby steps is what I would lead any other average American towards because of how well put together it is. Everything in the steps, and again, we'll, we're going to break it down here one by one and give our thoughts on each one, but in a general sense of things, I think for the average typical American who doesn't want to further advance their finances in like a kind of that next step basis, that the, the baby steps are, are the great foundation for everyone. Two things, and this is only because it came up in comments. We often say average American and things like that, and that's we're mostly referring to like the ways to invest are kind of like Americans. We know we have international listeners and I can Thank promise you. you yeah, no, so I, because this is, we talk when we say average American, because a lot of times we're talking about brokerage accounts and taxable accounts and mm-hmm. retirement accounts that are pretty United States focused. That's where we're from. But I will say for the record, this is one of those that if you are an international listener, I think the, the philosophies and stuff are going to be helpful. And just to follow up, you know, I think the only argument that I've seen now is it's really like maximizing efficiency. Like if you follow Dave Ramsey's plan to a T, 
you, you're gonna you, win. You can't. Yeah, you're gonna win. You can't get screwed over. You yep. nobody gets to the other side of Dave Ramsey's program and's like, I regret that. I never should have done that. I'm worse off with my money and my personal finance than I was before. It, there might be some people that are like, oh, I could have made a little bit more, or I could have invested a couple di- different ways. And di- I don't think, and I'm not saying there's nobody, but the people that I've talked to in the last four years of being involved in this. And like I said, starting my channel is baby steps, Brad. It's been, it's been pretty much a, a tip top, you know, review. I just want to reiterate that we have Brett and I both have the largest respect for Dave Ramsey. I mean, he, I honestly think he is one of the major reasons why I am doing what I'm doing today. He kind of lit that spark underneath me when I was looking to pay off my student loans and I had no idea what I was doing in the finance space back in 2014. And I searched, did a random Google search on the internet while I was sitting in my cubicle at work. And I searched, how do I pay off my student loans? And Dave Ramsey's face popped up and then the rest is history. And I became obsessed with bettering my financials and growing my net worth as year over year. So for anybody that is listening to this podcast and has no idea what we're talking about, just a a brief overview of who Dave Ramsey is and what these baby steps are that we're talking about. Like, no, we're not going to be talking about our kids tonight. (laughs) Dave Ramsey has one of the largest podcasts in the world. He has an everyday um, radio station that is syndicated all over the world. He also streams that live on YouTube every single day. He is a rags to riches kind of story. Um, Some people would argue some of the things that he says that they're a little storytelling, but he, you know, went through that bankruptcy, started in real estate, and then pretty much figured out a way to get himself out of the hole that he was in. He has family. He's older now. I'm not I, probably. I would say in his sixties. Sorry, Dave, if you're in your fifties, but <laughs> he created or he's well known for two things that you might hear. One is which is Financial Peace University, and he talks about that in that program that he does. And I took FPU. I don't know if JJ did, but I took it uh, very early on. And inside FPU, he talks about these seven baby steps, these seven steps that can take you from where he was in bankruptcy, not knowing anything about money to now what I assume Ramsey Solutions is probably (laughs) worth multiple millions of dollars and himself included. I've seen his house slash compound. So he's, like I said, he He's used these philosophies and he's one of the few people that I've ever seen that really have never skewed away from his beliefs. Like it's hard to look back and say he's a hypocrite on anything. And maybe that's one fault of his. And that's something we'll talk about. I think is maybe that lack of evolution has maybe held him back from the younger generation, but you know, he, he's, he's a good dude. And if, if you are one of those people that's starting out, like listening to this podcast, like I'm still in debt, I'm trying to figure it out. And you haven't heard about Dave Ramsey. You can listen to what we have to say, but I definitely would recommend at least starting it. I don't think he's somebody that you're going to follow for 10 years, but he, he is the foundation. Definitely a hundred percent agree. So Brad, I guess for today's episode, you know, let's run through these seven steps. Let's give our opinions on each of them because i think both of us may have done videos in the past on youtube of our thoughts on the baby steps program what we think is correct what things we would have changed when we were going through them when we were because i started out at doing the baby steps and i changed it up about halfway through and i can kind of touch on that as we go through today's episode but it's uh it'll be interesting today but i do want to say you know as 
as someone out there who you guys are maybe stumbled upon the podcast today and you're in major debt, you're going through a bankruptcy, you're just lost, you don't know what to do. I think today's episode is really going to help you out because you may feel like you're stuck and you don't know where to go, but trust me, there is a way out of the financial distress and the financial situation that you are in. It's just going to take a little bit of work up front. You know? You're know, you not going to get anything handed to you in life. You got to work for it. So if you want to make the change, it's got to be up to you. But today's episode is really going to help you out. And full disclosure, JJ, you can call me a liar if I'm speaking for you, but um, we do not follow the Ramsey seven baby steps currently in our life. And that's not because they're wrong. It's just because of, like I said, that way that you adapt into your own personal situation. Is that fair to say, JJ? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. So baby step one is to establish a $1,000 emergency fund in cash that's under the mattress that you can't touch. This is going to be the start of your journey. And there's a couple reasons why he wants you to do this. For a lot of people that are in financial trouble, saving up $1,000 is hard to do. And I think sometimes we look at just the amount of money as opposed to the lesson. And for me, listening and reading his books, there's a part of the lesson. He's saying, he made a thousand dollars, an amount of money that if you really were committed and you were going to do this, you could definitely save the money up. So a lot of people want to argue like thousands, not enough. I think he chose an amount in the back of his mind that said, let's a, we're not just telling people to get a thousand dollars, but we're teaching people right from the start of what it might feel like to have to save money. Now for me personally, I I people ask me all the time, is this enough money this day and age? Just thousand dollars enough money. And when I first started, it was Dave says a thousand, do a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but I think now knowing personal finance is personal, everyone has different living expenses. Everybody has different risks for job security. Everyone has different kids. Everyone I would and I think too, when he started this, if we counted inflation, I think I did the video like maybe two years ago where I did like, if you took his thousand dollar baby step one and, and accounted for inflation, it would be like 1800. And yeah. I think my wife and I, we did 1500 a person. So I think my baby step one was 3000, which also coincidentally was pretty much like one month living expenses. But when you're looking at baby step number one, in my opinion, you need to have enough money that that makes you sleep at night, but makes you feel like, oh man, I only have that amount of money in the bank. That's a solid point, man. That is a really great point. And I will kind of roll off that saying that I do agree that in today's age, $1,000 is just not enough. But the scary part is, is there is a very large percentage of Americans who live every single day and they cannot cover a $1,000 emergency expense. And that is scary to say that. Um, I will say, make that be one of your goals for 2021. If you are one of those Americans or, you know, not just Americans, like Brad mentioned earlier, even some of our international listeners, if you can't afford a $1,000 expense, make that be your first goal for 2021 and saving up that that uh, emergency fund. But with that being said, I do think $1,000 is not enough. Yeah. You need, like, so my wife and I, we had around five grand in the bank whenever we were kind of like starting to pay off our debt right out of college for a couple reasons. Let's say you have a car and your transmission goes out. What are you going to do with that $1,000 in the bank? That's not going to cover a full transmission replace. Yeah, you go stick it on the credit card or do whatever you got to do to get the bill paid, but 
you're not really making progress doing that. So I like having that cash sitting there for kind of the worst case scenario. You know, if you get your AC goes out, if you live in a, you know, if you own your own home, that's probably a, uh, we're talking a four to $7,000 expense, depending on what all you do and where you live in the country or in the world. So having the $1,000 is just, that doesn't cut it for me. And again, I'm going to, I am going to nitpick these, these baby steps today just for, you know, the entertainment of the episode, but also I'm giving my true thoughts here. I mean, this is really what I think now as being someone who I do feel that I'm pretty well knowledge in the financial realm, being in the space so long and literally reading books and articles and listening to videos day after day after day because I'm so passionate about it that I do think need you need to have a little bit more than that $1,000 for the baby step one. And we'll use my next point to go into baby step two because I found out that there's two types of people that enter baby step one, okay? And most of the people have debt. Like it's, it's very hard to stumble upon Dave Ramsey if you're not in debt. So when I got into it, and maybe you're one of these two people, you are either, I have a ton of debt and I have no money, so I have to raise up to that $1,000 and that $1,000 is going to be hard for me to hit. Or the other extreme, which is what I was, you have a ton of debt, you have some fair amount of money in the bank and decreasing the cash in your bank down to baby step one is also very, very frightful. So for me, when we started it, I probably had, well, I know how much debt I had, I had $189,000 worth of debt. And I probably had a thousand or so, I think it was $1,300 a month in minimums and debt payments. And I probably had $12,000 in the bank. Whatever you decide your baby step one amount's gonna be, like we we said that it was gonna be $3,000. We emptied our bank account to $3,000 to get started on baby step two. And I will say that like, I don't care if your baby step one amount is $1,000 or $10,000. I'm not going to debate that with you. But I will say when you get to the number that you think is your one month living expense, that's going to be your one emergency month, empty your bank accounts to help pay off your debt. And I think it'll seem scary, but that fear definitely motivated me to succeed. Yeah, I will. I'll second that, Brad. So we did the same thing. We had, so we had sixty thousand dollars in student loans. That's all the debt we had. We didn't have any car debt, credit card debt, or anything like that. It was strictly student loans of my wife and I coming out of college. And we had. So my wife graduated a year before I did. So she was working. She was already kind of focusing on paying down those student loans. But this was before I even heard about Dave Ramsey because I was still in college, still uh, living it up. You know what I mean. But uh, not worrying about my student loans. Still living it up, buddy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, once we figured out like about Dave Ramsey and everything, and we really got focused on paying down our student loans as fast as possible, is we ended up, I think we had around 10K in cash. And I really had to talk Lindsay into pulling a, more of that money out, kind of like you guys did down to your three grand. We got down to the five and Lindsay felt very uncomfortable, but I... I listened to the podcast and the episodes and I said, well, babe, that's going to motivate us to get this debt paid off faster so we can put the cash back into the bank so you can feel safer and sleep better at night. She's like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's get this debt going. And luckily, you know, I, uh, uh, Lindsay was already working on her loans while I was still in college, but we ended up paying off our, 
$60,000 of student loans in around like nine months or so after I graduated. Beautiful. And we'll talk about the debt payoff. And actually, I'll go into that right now, but I want to say if we forget to mention it in baby step two, it does not matter how fast you pay it off. And if you get involved in the Ramsey community, you're going to see people, I paid off this amount this fast. And you're going to start to judge yourself like, Susie paid it off in three months. What am I doing? Like, I think there's an overarching kind of philosophy that we have to have through baby steps one through seven is this is personal finance and your story is going to be so different than somebody else's. And the, the major mistake that I made overarching this whole thing was comparing myself to what other people were doing. So like yep. you said that you paid that off. Great. And I paid mine off in a certain amount of time. Great. And you are going to pay that off in a certain amount of time. So great. So let's get to the baby step two, unless you have anything to follow up on baby step one. Well, uh, no. Baby step two is what I was getting ready to touch on. Oh, you want to introduce baby step two? Yeah. So so baby step two is pay off all of your debt except the house using the debt snowball method. So there's a few things here. Um, first and foremost, I will agree that everyone, once they have that starter emergency fund in place, that paying off your consumer debt should be the number one goal on your list. With that being said, Dave says that you should not be investing in baby step two. And Brad, you and I had many debates back in the baby steps, Brad's era of how you disagreed with me on investing during baby steps two. And I said, well, I would at least be putting, you know, if you get a match in your company, at least do the match because you'd be missing out on free money. And then also I would say I would I was putting money into my Roth because I wanted to take advantage of the taxes and being so young. So that kind of goes hand in hand there. And I know a lot of people would disagree with me on that. And I know a lot of people that would agree with me on that. So you kind of find the happy place. And again, this is going to be kind of a broken record, but personal finance is personal. It's what works for you. And here's not, here's something else too that Dave, Dave would uh, argue with me on or kind of counteract uh, with me on is that you don't invest during baby step two because for those of you that are money nerds out there, it does hurt not investing in your 401k. It does hurt missing that free match, uh, free money uh, company match. So that entices you to pay off that debt even faster so you can get back on track with investing and getting that um, company match that you do at your uh, at your job. Yeah, I'll agree with you that I was. I don't. I can't say I was more gung ho, Dave. I think we just we found Dave at different times in our lives, and you were kind of yes. coming. You were coming off the peak curve when I was the peak, and yep. we've mentioned before. I used to debate you, and you'd smile like I've been there, bud. I you'll come around, and, and it is true. As far as and I'm going to talk about what baby step two actually means in a second, and and the arguments against it. But I will I will say that I told you that there is no way, shape, or form that you should be doing it. And I will also agree, <laughs> full disclosure, I now advise people if you do have a company match, that is free money and it's a long road and that that should be a good idea. And the Roth thing I'm still up in the air for. I know t- the Roth is time sensitive and I think we could, I would look at that in consulting in an individual basis. Like what can, types of consumer debt do we have? But That's right. Hey, hang on. I, Cause I got to, I got to say it. It really does depend because now we're on this subject. I want to make sure I touch on it real quick. If you have a very high interest credit card debt, yeah, I don't give a shit about that 
company match. Right. You're paying 16, 18, sometimes 20 plus percent on that credit card. That company match don't mean anything. You need to get that credit card bill paid off ASAP. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we talk about Snowball versus Avalanche and interest. Got it. Because yeah, you make you make a very good point. Like there's some things that are definitely going to take priority. And first, let me just break down for those of you who don't know, and it, it might be hard to listen to. Like this is one of those things, especially for me being a visual learner, that you might want to see. But I think you can follow along. Essentially, Dave wants us to list all of our debts from the least principal balance to the most principal balance. He does not care what the current minimum is. He does not care what the interest is. And his argument is if we cared about interest, we wouldn't and we cared about all this math, we wouldn't be in trouble in the first place because we'd already know that debt was bad for us. So that's like that first introduction. Then he says, all right, we're gonna pay the minimums on everything except for that first item, the lowest principal balance you have. And you are going to throw the house at that. You're going to throw the kitchen sink. Every single dollar, you find a quarter on the street, it's going on that first debt. You find this, it's going on that first debt. He's, he uses words like gazelle intention, scorched earth. And essentially, let's say that that first one had a uh, $100 minimum. You had a credit card and had a $100 minimum on it. So you pay in 100 plus everything else you have. When you pay that one off, Instead of saying, Woo, I have a hundred dollars of free money, I don't have that minimum payment anymore. No, no, no. You take that hundred, you roll it into the next one, and then that now becomes your scorched earth. So essentially, the entire time you're in baby step two, for me, it was a little over a year. When I started, I had, let's call it a thousand for round numbers, let's call it a thousand dollars in minimum payments. I think it was more like 3,400 actually, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to go back. It was so long ago. Yeah. But Let's say you had a let's say you have a thousand dollars in minimums today. You're gonna have a thousand dollars in minimums until you're done, because that's the snowball that he's talking about. Right now, you're paying the minimums and everything, but then the minimums are just gonna fall down to the next one and fall down to the next one and fall down. So by the time you get to your last debt, which was your biggest principal, you're now paying the sum of all of those minimums every single month plus your scorched earth. And I'll tell you this. At this point, you've already been doing this for a while and you're starting to get fired up and you start finding money in places you never, ever thought you could find money before. And then you you get that day where you click the last payment and you used to be a man's man or you used to be a strong, powerful woman and you are crying like a baby at the computer paying off your last debt. It literally is. It's a different feeling, man. It hits so it hits in such a way that like it's a totally different experience that I've never really felt before. I don't know. It's like a sen- sense of uh, accomplishment. It's a goal you've been working towards, but also you're gaining some life back in yourself. Yeah. You don't owe the bank. You don't owe anyone money except your if you have a mortgage. Can I can I interject and ask you go something ahead, about go this? Ahead. Because I'm trying to match that feeling. It's not the feeling of kids. It's not the feel like right. I've cried tears of joys before. But as far as money, I got to ask you this. I'm not a millionaire, and I don't think you are either. No, not yet. What do you think will be? Do you think it will be a similar feeling when you become when you get to a net worth of a million versus debt free? Like I, I'm trying to like place like obviously you're no different when you're debt free, but that feeling that gets lifted off your shoulder. I feel like the next thing after debt free is really like I'm a millionaire is. <laughs> yeah. Now 
This when I look at the bank and say that I'm a, I'm a millionaire, I feel like I'm going to have that similar emotional overtaking that I had when I paid my last debt off. This is such an easy answer for me. The millionaire status will hit me much harder than the debt-free will. Really? Yep. Wow. Such, such a longer grind. I thought the first 100,000 was the first, like, it was the hard part. Nope. No way, man. The first million's the hardest, and I think that's going to be my one of my biggest like accomplishments and it will make paying off debt feel like uh crumbs almost because i gotta say this though man i don't, I don't know want- i i don't know how i'm gonna feel. i i never knew how i'd feel when i was gonna pay off debt i was always like i'm gonna click that payment and then i'm gonna go have lunch and like i said i cried like a baby at the keyboard i gotta say this though when i paid off my debt you got to think though, man, I was, I was nine out of nine months out of college. So it really wasn't like a long time frame. And I'm not saying that to flex by any no, means. I was 37. So it's like, you know, it's never too late, you know? Yeah, exactly. So like, I guess I, I'm, I didn't have that long buildup feeling and process of like, I got to get this done. It was such a fast point of my life. I mean, it wasn't even a year to where like that million dollar status has been something I've been working towards since 2016. That's a great point. Like, Baby step two for some people is going to be an effing so fast, an effing grind or so fast. Yeah, I know people that started with me in, in baby steps Brad days that are still paying off debt. And mm-hmm. like I said, back to that, it doesn't matter. I still clap for them when they win. But yep. yeah, I mean, I guess there's there's that time domain. And I just want to wrap baby step two up with the alternative, the debt snowball, and. You're more of a math and numbers guy. And this is the argument that you'd make with me. Can you just let people know where the debt avalanche might be a benefit or like what interest rates are you really cutting off? Like this is a now thing. This is a now emergency. And this is a, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah. So I'm glad you did kind of lay out the debt snowball because I did, I was getting a little ahead of myself there, but so the debt avalanche is basically pretty much the same thing as the debt snowball Except the main difference there is, is you're looking at interest rates. The focus is the interest, not the principal. Correct. So instead of picking the lowest uh, debt that you have, let's say you have like $200 on a credit card, that's your lowest principal that you have to pay off. What you focus on is you focus on the highest interest rate first. You don't care about overall balances. You don't care about principal or anything like that. If you have a credit card bill that's a $30,000 credit card bill, but it has a 22% interest rate, that's your number one focus because of how high that interest rate is and how much that is killing you every single month. And if you pay off that $30,000 faster, not only is that going to give you more money than it would if you did the debt snowball route to pay off towards debt, it's also going to speed up your debt payoff journey because that's not that much extra money going out in interest because you covered that higher one first. Now, as far as a inter, uh, interest rate percentage of where I think it's kind of like the cutoff point is between that like six and 8%. Personally, I'm a 6% or over guy is a pretty high interest rate for me, especially the time that we live in. So if you have anything that's over 6%, I I category that as like a higher interest rate that needs to be paid off ASAP. And this is the importance of talking to like friends about this because JJ, you are an avalanche guy, I think now. Mm -hmm. I was when I paid off debt. And I still remain a snowball guy. And I think the the main difference is... I never back to that like 
I was never bad with money as far as like credit card. I was an overspender. I almost in New York with my inflated salaries, I, w- I was bad with money because I made too much money. And I, I don't know that sounds weird to people, but like I was always in the, the argument I had with my wife. She's a lot more frugal than me. My argument was always, dude, we make so much money. Like we don't have to worry about these bills. And she's like, Brad, we're spending more than we make. This lifestyle creep is real. And I'm like, no, no. So we didn't have credit card. I never needed a credit card. I never did. So I'm still a snowball guy because mine was student loans between my wife and I, and then maybe some car payments, my truck and her car. I think my highest interest rate was 6%, my highest one. So for me, and this is where like personal finance gets personal. If you're on JJ's side and your debt is a little bit credit cards and high interest rates, maybe you're, maybe you should be an avalanche person where me, I, number one, I had all the same interest, so it didn't matter. And two, psychologically, I do like to check off boxes. I do like to like, I did like having the smallest balance and getting rid of it in a couple months and being like, gone. If you do the snowball, you know, your highest interest rate might be your biggest principal. So now you're going to have five debts for five years where every six months I knew, or every three months I knew I was getting across something off the list. So psychologically, you have to know where you're at too. Yeah, I, I was. I'm glad you said that. I literally wrote that down. Is that if you know you uh, you need the small, like you need those small wins to keep you motivated. The debt snowball is the perfect way to go psychologically because it does that. And I'm a I'm a cross off list item type person too, which I'm shocked I didn't go the snowball route. But I'm also a very analytical numbers person as well. So I'm glad you made that point because that is very very important. Is that psychological part of the debt snowball that really does keep you motivated to where you said, you know, if you got your highest interest as your highest principal amount, well, then you're going to be paying on all five of those debts for a very long time. And you're like, well, f- hell, I'm never going to make these payments paid off. I might as well just keep going like I was, you know, you're not, you're not going to win. So it really does depend on the person. And I know we're going to keep saying this, but it's, it comes to be personal. It really does. I mean, that's 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 how this works out. Now, let me ask you this, though, Brad. So you, you said you're more of the debt snowball type of person. What if you had those credit cards or what if you're talking to somebody right now? Like, let's say me, JJ, has I have the high interest credit cards with a higher balance amount. Would you still say that I need to go debt snowball or would you say debit avalanche? Well, I'm going to try and get a feel for the type of person you are because I think psychologically, just like with dieting or whatever, I want to I see what's going to be the most successful long term for people. But yeah, if somebody has a credit card debt, that's the other thing with credit card debts too, unless you're really, really in trouble, the, the principal balance isn't usually going to be as high as a student loan or something like that. But no, I have no problem whatsoever advocating for attacking credit card debts at at 15, 18%. I'm going to move those to the top of the list, but I will like I said, getting to know somebody and that's the, the beauty of like consulting, you get to know people and you kind of win with them is they, you, you get them to say like, Brad, the interest doesn't matter right now. And I say, okay, well, and this is a point that I'll make. Nothing we do in personal finance is set in stone. You can be an avalanche guy today and a snowball guy the next day and a snow girl. So, Facts. If I get somebody that has credit card debts, I'm going to say, hey, let's let's go for those first. But do you like to check things? Like, how psychological does this need to be for you if they're like, it needs to be psychological? I, I'm more worried about the momentum long term, especially if they have a huge principal balance. I know that this is going to be a journey for them for a year or two. I'm not worried about I'm not worried about it. 
So it if if somebody needs to check off boxes, I'm going to move those higher interests down. If someone's no. like, Brad, you're working with me, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, and I'm going to do it like you're my coach, then yeah, I'm going to move the high interest up to the top, and I'm going to do a hybrid of both. And there's no debate. Either way, you're going to be paying off debt. And this is back to that, like, which way is a little bit, quote, more efficient for you and what's best for you. Either way, you win. At the end of the day, you're going to pay off debt. Whether you do a debt snowball or debt avalanche, you're going to pay off debt. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100% on that, man. So let's, uh, we spent a lot of time on the debt one, but I think the baby steps too is probably the most time spent people like in a baby step. I think that's where probably majority of the time people have spent is either that one or baby step six, probably, which we'll get to that in a second. But go ahead. What do you got? Yeah, no, and I'll tell you this. I thought baby step two, even though it was the longest, was the hardest. And and people still in debt will hate to hear me say this. <laughs> Don't ruin it for them, Brad. No, you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Paying off debt is so much easier when it comes to personal finance than being debt free. When you are debt free, you have a lot of money, but deciding where it's going to go is yep. when you when you're in baby step two, you have one job: pay off pay off all of this. Then you get out of debt. And I used to think that getting out of debt was the end of the journey. Like baby step two was the end. Oh no, young guy! <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I I have spent more sleepless nights worrying about baby steps three through seven than I ever did with baby step two. And I'm very excited to touch on baby step seven, which we'll do at the end of the video. But I I do think that's one that doesn't get talked about enough. And everyone's kind of, once they get to that step, they're lost. They're like, okay, well, well, now what? So I'm excited to touch on that that subject, but we'll we'll do that uh, in a little bit. Now, as far as baby step three. So baby step three is save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. So now you're taking that $1,000 starter emergency fund and you're ramping that up to whatever three to six months of expenses is for you. You need to be the one to calculate that. Sit down with a pen and paper, look at your bills online, however you do your thing, whatever's comfortable for you, and add up every single expense you have, your mortgage, gas for the month, gym membership, insurance, whatever it may be. If you say, if you pay stuff on annual uh, payments, include that into that emergency fund. Include that full amount. That's what I do, just to be conservative. Now, my thoughts on the three to six, and I don't want to spend too much time on baby step three because it's a pretty simple one, but I am more of an advocate of like 12 months in cash like for emergency fund. But also with that being said, I use that cash for other investments. So if I find a a rental property that I can have a down payment for, that cash is sitting in there for that. I kind of ramp it up. But also the line of work I'm in, I feel like my job or career or business could be gone tomorrow. And I want to make sure I got that cash for my family. We also like to travel. So like if we want to take a little break and we got the cash there to do that, it's just a little bit of extra freedom we have having that larger amount of cash in the bank. And it's it actually can decrease the lower you make your lifestyle too. So like if we pay off our mortgage, you can decrease that that uh, overall fully funded emergency fund by whatever your six months worth of mortgages was. So now you got freed up, you know, a few thousand dollars in cash. So that's kind of real quick, my thoughts on, on baby step three. And you might be saying to yourself, these guys are 40 minutes into this podcast and they're just starting three. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Listen, we, we never try and drag episodes on and we never try and cut them early. So... 
hey, maybe you got to go, maybe you got to press pause, go crack another yeah. beer and put your feet up because this is valuable stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> I did. I just checked the clock. I was like, oh shit, it's 40 <laughs> minutes. So you the main thing that you mentioned, I think this is the overarching theme that we need to have for baby step three. It really depends on what your income security is and what your risk tolerance is and your age. And I think risk tolerance and age kind of go hand in hand. And I also need to let people know that if you're starting with baby step one, if you put yourself on the same financial education as all the baby steps, this will be very confusing to you because as we just mentioned, baby step two is going to be a long time. And while you're doing baby step two, you're going to be actively learning about three, four, five, six, and seven. So when you get to baby step three, this is when we can kind of loosen the reins. Why? Because you're debt-free. The only thing that's really effing you over in life is being debt-free financially, not in life, but financially in life is, is being in debt. And that's, we can't argue that. When we get to baby step three and we start talking emergency funds, we can go down the spectrum of where your emergency funds are. Are they in cash? Are they here? Are they there? Are, as we learned in last week's episode, some of mine's in my Roth IRA. And JJ mentioned the amount of cash that you have depends on what your future goals are going to be. And this is when things begin get fun, but they also can get a little stressful because you don't know what to do. So people ask me all the time, Brad, three to six months, bud, what are you doing? When I first got out of debt, I was so excited to invest. I, I, I skipped it. I almost like skipped baby step three. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so excited because this you're out of debt. I'm so excited. I, I, I felt like I felt like I was like my my two-year-old when you let her out the front door and then she's like, freedom, and she runs to the end of the driveway and you don't follow her and then she looks back like, wait, I'm by myself. You know, you, you have to realize that this is where the fun is going to begin and maybe now you want to be three months. But then you might get to three months and I, I want six months. So you take six months. I personally, still to this day, and I've been debt-free now for a little, about a year and six months, in my checking account, I still have one month living expenses. That's it. But I have about a year's worth of cash, but they're all in sinking funds for different things like JJ mentioned. I want to get into real estate. I save money for taxes because I have side incomes. This is where you start to create sinking funds and you start to shoot money into different places. So to say I have a year's worth of expenses is a little, it's, it's, it's a little false. I have a lump of sum of money that could probably cover a year of expenses, but they're all distributed vacation, taxes, Christmas, birthday funds, wedding funds, all these different things. But as far as my quote emergency fund, I, with my very, very secure job, my wife's very, very secure job and some pretty good passive income. If you come to me at the ATM, put a gun on the back of my head, you're getting one month of living expenses out of me. That's it. That's all you're getting. Yeah, no, I think you make a good point there too about uh, with the whole sinking funds thing. I think that's going to be a good episode because I don't do sinking funds. I kind of just have like a lump sum in one account. Or maybe maybe that's a I don't know maybe that's a Friday episode we can kind of tie in or something like that because it'd be real quick. Somebody call and ask about our sinking funds so we can yeah. make a Friday episode about it. Give us an excuse to talk about it because we do have different viewpoints on that. But but no, I mean Brad, you're right though, man. Like it's it's it just comes down to the person, and if you have like kind of 
different goals for traveling or, you know, real estate or whatever that may be, you know, however you're holding those funds, it's going to do, you know, whatever it needs to do for its job. So can we sum it up to this? And here's my philosophy. And I, I say this, this is Brad's philosophy and you can agree or disagree. I created the amount of cash, just like when I said in baby step one, figure out what your one month expenses make that. I figured out my worst case financial situation for today. Worst case. Let's say the oil burner blew, the hot water blew, the pool filter blew, and the AC blew, and my car broke down today. What is the worst case scenario I could have? I made that my emergency fund in cash. Facts. Because if all that stuff breaks today, I can cover that. And if a tree falls through the house, I got insurance for that. So like, that's not a worst case scenario for me. Tree falling through the roof, that's insurance. But I'm yeah. saying like, if the washer, the dryer, every, every utility in my house, and you can go around your house, if everything that I use every day broke today, could I cover it? That was my, that was my baby step three. Love it. Baby step, baby step four. This is, this is our bread and butter now. Yeah. Now, now we're in our wheelhouse here, buddy. So baby step four is invest 15% of your household income in retirement. What's your thoughts on that, Brad? This is where a lot of people start to skew away. This is when, this is when the videos on YouTube from baby steps, Brad start Mm -hmm. to be like, I don't know if I really agree with Dave Ramsey. So without going too far into it, I'll say this. And my only gripe against it, don't save 15% of your income into retirement. Put as much effing money as you can put into investments that does not stress your life out. Because if you do baby steps, one, two, three, four, like, what are you going to do with the rest of the money? Like hold that in care, like save 15% of your retirement. Like for me, save it all. That's my, that's my only gripe against it. Like, I hate that he put a number on, like if you have 50% of your money sitting around, Dave's like, Hey, put 15% in. Okay. What the hell do I do with the other 35% bro? But here's, so here's the part on that then Brad, and, and you're, you're a hundred percent right. But most people aren't in that case. You know, like, like most people, it, most people probably have a hard time coming up with a 15% to invest in retirement because I still remember back when I had my corporate job working in the cubicle before the construction days. Even debt-free? Yeah, man. Like, I mean, I remember talking, well, maybe not debt-free, but that's a very, a very few amount of people. But like, like I, hang on, let me, let me finish my thought here real quick. I remember being at like the water cooler, right? And people are talking about like their 401ks because no one knew what the hell to put their stuff into at the time. And I remember people being like, oh yeah, we just put in like, you know, two, 3% or whatever. And after talking to so many people, majority of the people out there really aren't putting that much money into their 401k or retirement because they can't afford it. And, and that goes back to your point, you know, like even people be who are debt free, maybe that's, that's the different case. And that's kind of why, you know, Dave does say the 15% here, but the point I'm making is, you know, I think it is a good foundation but for someone who wants to take the next step up, and this is, we haven't touched on this yet, Brad, and I knew this is, I knew I was going to bring this up in today's video, but like the fire movement, for example, you know, if, if, if 
I feel like a lot of people start on Dave Ramsey and then stumble upon the fire movement for kind of that, like that extra step. Right. It's like that extra step of what you can focus on instead of these baby steps. And 15% is not going to cut it in the fire movement. And the fire movement, basically for you new listeners out there, is financial independence retire early. And the gist around this movement is you're you're putting the highest amount of a savings rate that you can to be able to retire early. So you're putting way more than 15% into retirement. And if you max out your retirement accounts, you're putting more money into brokerage accounts and real estate and other investment vehicles to be able to get to that financial freedom number at a relatively quick rate because you're able to live the life that you want to live sooner rather than if you would just stick and put 15% in for the next 40 years. I mean, who wants to do that anymore? I don't. Yeah, and I... I'm going to follow up what you said because you are right. And I jumped kind of like right into the extreme there. And there's people at my job that are like, what do you mean you max your 457 and mm-hmm. your 403B out? And I'm like, okay, let's go back. Let's rewind a little bit. I didn't always do that. And I don't expect people to enter babysit four. And we're going to mention that four, five, and six are going to be meant to do at the same time. Like they're not, those were no, no longer sequential. We're going to be doing the next three in the same time, but you're right, JJ. If, if you feel like you need to ease into this a little, maybe I tell people work, maybe you're doing 4% now, next quarter, raise it to four and a half percent. Then in six months, raise it to five. You have time to raise it up until you get to the max. And that's what I did with my 457 and my 403B. I didn't wake up one day. I was like, I'm going to max both these out. I knew I got bi-yearly raises. So I haven't taken a raise in four years because every single time I got a raise, I just contributed that into my retirement account until I ended up maxing it. And to be honest, I don't know what percentage that is. And that's the kind of another point to be made. Like, don't worry. And maybe that's really what I meant when I said save as much as you can. Don't focus so much on what percentage of your income you're saving. But by now at Baby Step 4, you've learned so much about personal finance. You've learned like about index funds and Roth IRAs and, and you've listened to this podcast. And I didn't want to say like, maybe I came off as being like, don't do 15, do 50. What I meant was, don't focus so much on the 15. If it's 10% for you, but when it, if it's 10%, next year make it 11, next year make it 12. Yeah, I mean, build up to that 15% as fast as possible. Yes. I mean, because you want to be at least hitting that. But I mean, yeah, you, you make a great point there. Like for me to max my 403B and my 457 is more than 15% of my income. Right, exactly. So you, it's okay to go above and beyond because I get so many emails where people are like, okay, I'm at 15% invest in my retirement. What do I do now? And I'm like, did, yeah. did you max your 401k? No, I'm at 15%. I'm like, okay, make it 18% and max your 401k out. Yep. Yeah. So, okay, well, that leads us to the next one then. It kind of goes hand in hand with this. And I know you and I kind of have a little difference of opinion here. I don't want to dive too much into that, into this episode. I want to leave that for maybe its own little episode on its own because it would be good. Just scratch the surface a little. We'll, we'll, we'll scratch it. We'll, we'll entice the listeners to keep listening for this episode. So baby step five is save for your children's college fund. So these could be, you know, like an UTMA or a 529 plan or whatever it may be. So, so Brad, although I know your thoughts... What are your thoughts on this? Just scratching. 
just scratching. Just I don't want to spend too much time here because I do really want to touch on six and seven uh, here real quick. I am 100%. This is from day one to now from in my personal finance journey in four years. I am against the 529. I am against any savings for education, especially for people that save for their kids' future when they haven't got their own future. And I, I hate when I hear, oh, I have to put some money in a 529, but I have $30,000 in debt. Like, yeah. So true. Yo, you so got true. you got to put your ducks in a row before you worry about your kids. But let's say your ducks in a row, I'm still against 100%. No questions asked. You could debate me into the into the couch. I'll, I'll sit. I'll quiver into the couch. <laughs> there is pretty much nothing at this point that anybody can do to talk me into a five twenty nine. And we'll talk about the reasons why when we do a five twenty nine episode. Yep. And, and I'll just leave it here real quick. Uh, I do have five twenty nine plans you for jerk. both of my kids. <laughs> <You jerk. laughs> so we'll, we'll leave that for a whole nother episode. But so so moving on here, Brad, baby step six. Uh baby step six is pay off your home early. So again, a little bit of a difference opinion uh between you and I here. So so what are your thoughts on baby step six? I just I want to finish five just because Okay. <laughs> I just want to reiterate that if you want to save your kids college education I don't think you're doing anything wrong. It's just not something I want to do. Right. We'll we'll get into it on the episode. When you hear that future episode, you'll know what I'm saying. Like, I don't yes. think you're doing anything wrong. I just, I have an alternate path. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. So I got some good stuff on that one too. Oh, I, yeah. I think that'll be a good one. Uh, so baby step six, pay off the mortgage. I, I'm not paying off my mortgage actively. So there's a couple of things here that Dave Ramsey preaches. He preaches fixed mortgage rates. Definitely. I'm for that. Agree. He um, talks about 15 years and I'm for that, not for rentals, but for your primary residence, I'm for 15 years. And I do not like when people are like, I'll just get to 30 and add some every single month. My, my rebuttal to that. And I just had this conversation with Joe Cirillo. If you're listening, buddy, He's like, he's thinking about buying a house. And I'm like, 30 years is a long time to commit to doing extra. Like so many things can come up in your life where you're like, oh man, that double mortgage payment we were making. I don't want to make that anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that's a long time. So for me, I knew that that was a long time. I committed to 15 years and he says, put 20% down. I will speak before I talk about paying off the mortgage. I'll speak from personal experience. I bought a house I could not afford. And I paid PMI before I ever knew about Dave Ramsey. And it sounded like a great idea. I'm going to get to buy this house. Oh, I'm not going to be living at my mom's. I'm going to have a house. I'm going to pay this PMI, blah, 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 personal mortgage insurance. When I found out like what a stupid quote, stupid tax that was, there is nothing that made me more angry than PMI. I was somebody that never paid a bill late, never did anything wrong, you know, all these things, but I was paying insurance because the bank had to lend me money because I didn't have enough money to put up for the house. And it didn't matter how good I was with money or that I had a YouTube channel. I had to pay that every single month. And it's something when you buy a house, you're so excited, especially your first home to buy a house that you don't realize five years later, how much PMI is going to sting. And knowing what I know now, all it would have took was two or three more months of extreme saving to avoid years of PMI. It's literally throwing $100 bills out the window. It's, 
and I said it, and it's just, it feels it just feels dirty. Mm-hmm. It feels like you made like a bet. It just like I said, I'm sure we've been to the casino where you went up to your room and you're like, that was a dirty night. Oh yeah, I shouldn't have yeah. I shouldn't have put that on black. And I've had that happen. I've, <laughs> I've already I've already lost everything, and I just put that last chip on black. I shouldn't have done it. That's how dirty PMI PMI felt to me. And so that aside. Don't pay PMI. I, I agree with if you're going to buy a house and there's overwhelming circumstances, like I, I'll tell people like, hey, if you can't put 20% down at a 15-year fixed mortgage, you shouldn't be buying a house. I understand some people don't have that choice and they need to do it. But if you have an apartment with your girl and you guys want to buy a house because you think you're going to the next level, Good. Next level is don't be in debt, stay in that effing apartment and save 20% down because just like baby step one, you're going to learn a very valuable lesson, what it feels like to try and save 20% for a house. And my New York friends are like, Brad, do you know how much money that is? And I'm like, yes, stop going to the bar, stop going out to eat every effing night of the week. Stop upgrading your iPhone every six months when they come out with a new iPhone. Like, Stop buying new cars every two years. If the house is so important to you, don't do it. Now, with all that said, I have a very low interest rate on my house. And I think the argument against Dave Ramsey here is I can get more in the market. Two years ago, when interest rates were like four and a half percent, that was probably a pretty valuable argument. Now, at an interest rate under 3%, it's like, yikes. And knowing what I know now, I, can, I know I can get it back. But I feel like getting that 20, I put 25% down. 25% down, 15-year fixed mortgage at a 3% interest rate, I'm not attacking my mortgage. I'm investing in the difference. That's very hard to debate. Um, it really is. It's very hard to debate that and say you should be paying off your mortgage early. But I'm going to say that I am on the opposite end of the spectrum I do like the fact of having the home mortgage paid off only because of the risk factor. Uh, I like the fact that I will be owning my home outright, no mortgage payment. But Brad, with everything you said, you know, you and your wife have a very, very you know, relatively non-risky job, pretty safe income. You guys are set up very well to where like my you know, kind of my circumstances, you know, my income for my family is YouTube and you could, YouTube could be done next month Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Yeah. So I have a lot more risk on my shoulders and I feel comfortable. And, and then again, we're going to say the same thing we've said 5,000 times. (laughs) It's personal. Yeah. It's personal. So, you know, it's, it all depends on what works for you. And, and my wife and I are in an agreement that, we want the mortgage paid off to know that we don't have that worry in case I do lose 99% of my income. So let's just say, I'll give you a little perspective through my eyes. Or Let's say JJ Buckner is a YouTuber and he lives in New York and his mortgage is $2,500 a month. If he lost his YouTube job, $2,500 a month is a big effing deal for him. So if he had a split income where he had a a pretty good net profit on his months, he might want to duck that, get rid of that mortgage so that if poop hit the fan, he (laughs) he doesn't have to worry about 2,500 a month where if Brad is a school teacher and is a 10 year school teacher at 15 years in his career, has really good ratings, great rapport, 
pretty much no shot can lose his job, that $2,500 has a completely different meaning to me and you. So yeah, it's like- So true. If, and this goes back to baby step two and that psychological thing. And this is the conversations that we have. JJ wants to go to bed saying, if tomorrow nobody watches my videos ever again, I don't want a $900 mortgage payment. Yep. Where I say, nobody watches my videos anyway. And, <laughs> I'll get the hell out of here. And I'm not, I'm not going to lose my job. So I know that my mortgage is covered. So I can take a little bit more. I can go on the risk side and take a little more risk with my investments where you have to balance. Your risk comes in your job. My risk comes in my investments. And at the end of the day, we both end up pretty equal. Yeah, I would agree. Boom. So pay off your mortgage if if you don't want to pay a mortgage payment. Well, and I, I do want to touch on that real quick again. It, it it The grass, and Dave says this too, you know, the, the grass feels different when it's paid off. You know, when you own that grass, when that grass is yours, it and you walk out and you're barefoot and you say, this is mine. Yeah. No one else owns this. I don't own anyone else the money. It's a pretty cool feeling. And uh, hopefully my wife and I have ours paid off this year. You you might get that in Baby Step 2. Yep. When I paid off my truck, and still to this day, when I paid off my truck that, that first month, every time I drove it, I was like, this is my effing truck. And when people are like, yo, nice truck, man. What What's the payment on those Tacomas? I'm like, zero dollars. And like, that's, I remember the, the neighbor next door to me, they're older than me, but they had a, a mortgage burning party when I was probably like 17 years old. My, That's awesome. my parents went over there. They had a big party. And at the end of the night, they threw their mortgage papers that they probably printed out or whatever. They threw them in the fire. And at the time I was like, okay, boomer. You know? <laughs> now you're that guy. <laughs> but now, yeah. And I mean, but for me, 15 years is a great timeline. Like, yeah, it is. When my dad passed away, he still had a mortgage. I bought this house off of his estate. And to me, I'm like, all right, well, I back to like I did the right things. When my daughter is 15 years old, I won't have a mortgage. Yeah, that's that's huge, man. If you know what mortgage rates go for in New York, you know that that's going to really free up a, a really big piece. And the back to the 529s real quick is if I take my mortgage payment from the day it's paid off, and I forward that into future college payments, my kids are going to be good. Yeah. All right. No, I, that's Let's talk about baby step seven. And then we're out of here. The big one. The big one. This is the one that I am ex- so excited about because this is, this is probably the one I've spent the most time trying to study and learn and know truly what to do over the past six, seven years of me really having this passion for you know financial independence and bettering myself financially. So for Dave Ramsey, baby step seven is, is build wealth and give. Okay, but but what the hell does that mean? You know, <laughs> I mean like what okay, like I can build wealth, yeah, sure, but how do I do that? So this is kind of my thought process is this is where the fire movement comes in. So the fire movement really does a great job and and Brad, I would consider us part of the fire movement. You know, I feel like our podcast is kind of towards financial independence. And I really think this this is the next step, the next level. You're leveling up in the finance space because you are figuring out the different ways 
to build wealth and give, but to the next step, be able to become financially free. I consider myself, even though I quote work, I am financially independent, which to me means that I work the jobs I want to work when I want to work them. And I, I'm not retired and I, I bust your chops all the time. You don't have a W2 and you say, Brad, I'm not retired. I'm grinding on these Neo videos <laughs> you know? and I get that. And I think there, you, you can be financially independent. Like I'm pretty good with money. If, if I didn't, Hang on. if I don't want to work. Ex- explain exactly what that means. Like what, what does financial independence mean? So financial independence means that if I, I do not need a W2 job to move forward that I can live off what I have as far as passive income and the side businesses that I've created and the investments I've made to be able to live off of those. And I say this 100% from the bottom of my heart. I am still excited to go to my job every single day. I'm very fortunate in that. I Even through COVID where I'm teaching virtually and I'm streaming through videos and parents are hearing me say things in the background and I'm getting in trouble for like, they, like and I come all, like at the end of the day, I am blessed to be a school teacher. I'm blessed to teach in a state that pays teachers what they probably should get paid. And, you know, like just because I have a W-2 job does not mean I'm not financially independent. If my school district went under tomorrow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't reapply for another job. I would, I would pack it up and that would be the end of my teaching career. Okay, cool. So how does one become financially independent? What are some steps to get there? What should somebody look at or focus on? If there are 24 young kid, no debt, they don't have a home yet, but they want to focus on being financially independent, what should they do? Yeah. And we had a, we had an episode about like getting to financial freedom and it talks about like how many expenses do you want to have and the lifestyle that you want to live. And it's pretty much it. I guess the rule of thumb is financially independent is you take your expenses at your most expensive year that you think you're ever going to have, you multiply it by 25 and that's how much money you need to have invested. And then you can live off the dividends, the capital gains and things like that. But I'm more excited about baby step seven as far as the giving piece. And I never realized that you can give in more ways than just money when you're financially independent. Because if there's one thing that's financial independence has taught me is the value of time. And sometimes giving your time is way more valuable than giving money and volunteering places and things like that. The volunteering I've done in my life has probably been some of the most fulfilling times of my life. And I also come from the service industry. My wife and I, we, we picked up at a restaurant because everything's takeout right now. And we went a little bit early. Grandma and grandpa were over. And we were going to go pick up dinner together. And it was this nice Italian joint around the block. And they pour a pretty good glass of red. And we walked in there on a Saturday night and there was nobody there. And I think we got about $160 worth of takeout. And the bartender poured us a glass of red wine. I gave her a $75 tip. And, you know, it was a little bit of coming from the brewery and the service industry and knowing that Saturday night in this place, what it was a year ago, she probably cleaned up. And she was a bartender, a young girl. She she probably didn't know as much about money as we know now. And 
she's probably struggling and that probably wasn't her favorite place to be. And there was nobody else in there, but I was able to give because of the steps that I've taken and the, the live and give like nobody else. I'm really starting to get that. And I, I follow Jeremy from the uh, personal finance club and he donates so much money. And I'm just like, I'm almost envious of how much money he has to give. And it's not, but he, he has money to give. For me, I can't wait to volunteer and give my time and give my money. I think that's going to be the most fulfilling thing. And yeah, he says seven gets criticized. It's like, it's so vague. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. But the beauty of it is it means at that point, you, it just means happiness. You're going to do whatever you got to do that makes you so happy. Yeah. I, man, giving is a, it's something that makes you feel just a different type of way. You can't really explain that feeling. It's, it's something incredible. You get like, even if you're helping somebody out, like, uh, you know, Lindsay and I have done the things where, you know, you, you pay the bill, like somebody's eaten, like, like for some reason I have a hard, like a heart, a soft spot for, uh, like people who like are eating alone at a restaurant, which I, I do it all the time. I like eating alone sometimes. It's just, I, I like my me time, but like if it's an older couple or older person or elder person or something, and it's just, uh, I don't know. It's something about it is I, I want to pay their bill because it just, they've earned it. They have man. Yeah. And like, you don't know what that person's going through. Or like, even if you're the f- person in line in the drive through, and you want to pay for the person, but something like go do that. I will say this. If you guys are listening right now and you've listened to up to this point, if you want to do something, try it, try it out, pay for this. If you're going to get Starbucks tomorrow morning, pay for the person's behind you. Starbucks. It feels amazing. It really does. So, so the giving, get that. Thank you, but you don't need it. No, it's just a, it's a great feeling. You really, your whole day is, is made doing that first thing in the morning. So I did want to touch on the giving part. Now, as far as like building wealth, I mean, Brad, you hit it with the financial independent movement and like the, you know, times in by 25. I also like, I'm taking a little bit of a different route by going the real estate route. But again, we talk about all that in that financial independence episode. Maybe we can link that down in the show notes if yeah. people want to go check that out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that kind of, what's your thoughts, Brad? I mean, baby step seven is kind of vague, but it really does like that. I feel like that's the next step into financial independence. I mentioned this earlier with baby step three, by the time you, if you look at these, each one of these steps at once, the, there's so much education and time and, you know, inspiration that comes through that time. So when you get to baby step three, you're like, you're like, Oh wow. The same as with seven. And I'm not at baby step seven. I sell a mortgage. So technically I'm not at baby step seven, but I am living and giving like I've never lived and give before. And the feeling is just incredible. And we'll start to wrap this episode up, but I will say there is one thing that we did not specifically state that I think can become a future episode. And that's why we didn't state it is Dave talks about the types of investments to make. And he talks about mutual funds and growth and international and other things like that. We've talked about our investing patterns and we'll talk about them more in a little bit. But I just want to, if you've heard like about his certain ways to invest, you can keep following this podcast and you'll learn about how we invest. And I think before we get out of here tonight, guys, we, we want to do something that really you th- you guys think that it's probably like as you're writing them, you probably think it's like 
like cliche or whatever, but I need to tell you like when when we pay for our somebody's Starbucks behind us, you guys leaving a comment that that's what makes our day. Like that that fires us up and our podcast has grown exponentially over the last couple of months through just seeing downloads and seeing reviews and seeing the discord and the Facebook groups. Like I said, like this, you guys are, are changing our lives for the better. And I think JJ wants to highlight one of those comments tonight. Yeah. So, uh, you know, every now and then Brad and I will read a review that we get uh, and you guys can leave us a review on Apple podcast. I think that's the only place you can leave a review right now. Yeah. But uh, I got one today from, I got to read out. It's from JDub32Falcons, and he says, uh, Favorite finance podcast. Quickly becoming my favorite podcast. Been watching JJ's YouTube for a while now. Him and Brad break down everything in finance that may seem intimidating to the average people to make it so understandable. Thanks, guys. Cheers. I mean, you can't beat it, man. Like, I... <laughs> I know we say this all the time, but I, I love them. I love reading them. I read every single one of them. I send them to you through text. Like it's just, uh, it's something we get excited to see, guys. So we really do appreciate those reviews. It really does does mean a lot to us. Amen, brother. It really does. And we know that sometimes we know there's some non Apple people out there that can't leave a review. And you let us know, and you DM us, and you text us, and yeah, we're not stopping, guys. And Thank you so much. We know this was a longer-winded episode, but something that it needs to be stated and we wanted to give, like I said, full disclosure, even though we're selling options and we're, you know... We're, <laughs> That's so true. We're, we're YOLOing. We didn't even get into the fact that we use credit cards. Like I said, this is... <laughs> even though we may not be Dave Ramsey loyalists, I, I think there is... You know, you have to remember where you came from. And I came from Baby Steps Brad... And I'm proud of that and I'll never look back and that will still be my first place. And if we're going to have a podcast about personal finance, JJ and I both agree that Dave Ramsey needs to get credit where credit's due. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We are going to get into the next one. We'll see you every Friday now because we have Friday voicemails. If you'd like to leave a voicemail question for our Friday episodes, please do so. I'll leave a link down in the description below. You can find those also on Discord and as Facebook as well. We'll see you guys in the next one. Cheers.